This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to episode 239 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Peter Fisher, who is a director at Sequent Real Estate and Wealth Management. Peter has guided clients for the past 15 years into securitized real estate investment opportunities through the uses of DSTs, ticks, REITs, opportunity zones, opportunity funds, and other private placements. In today's episode, Peter will teach us the different tax deferral strategies that are available to real estate investors, including an in-depth guide on how the 1031 exchange works and how DSTs can be used to save a failing 1031 exchange. So if you're interested in tax deferral strategies through real estate investing, then you need to listen to this episode. And this real estate market is still incredibly hot. So if you're looking for a hard money loan for your fixed and flip projects, or if you're looking for a 30-year fixed loan for rental properties with rates as low as 4%, then you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Let me know that you're a podcast listener, and I'll give you a discount on our processing fee. And now, on to the show. All right, Peter, thank you so much for being on our show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Great, Sean. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I've been you know, very excited about joining you here and, and discussing some of the topics that, that we utilize at Sequent Real Estate and Wealth Management. Uh, my name is Peter Fisher. I am a financial advisor. I have been securities licensed for a you know, little over 15 years now. And just about a year ago, we founded our company, Sequent Real Estate and Wealth Management. We are a we're client-focused organization. Uh, we are a group of uh, experienced financial professionals uh, with, with deep experience in real estate and wealth management. Uh, we really provide solution-based advice that seeks to align with each client's long-term objectives. We, we tend to specialize in passive real estate investments and replacement property for 1031 exchanges. And I think that's probably what we're going to focus on a little bit more today. Absolutely. And can you kind of give us like a basic avatar of who your typical clients are? Sure. Um, you know, when we're talking about 1031 exchanges and, and our typical client is going to be an investment property owner. Really, if you look at our population today, there is a generation of individuals that are, are aging and retiring. We, we call them the baby boomers. There's something like 10,000 baby boomers retiring every single day. And they're running into this issue with retirement is that they still have to manage their investment assets. So they look at selling those properties. Well, when we all know when you sell a piece of real estate, there is going to likely be some tax liability. So these individuals start looking into uh, the ability to defer their tax gain and they find 1031 exchanges. Well, uh, as a retired individual, you're probably looking to get out of that day-to-day management. So you run into that same problem of I want to sell, but I don't want to be involved in the day-to-day operation of our real estate. So investors really come to us uh, seeking advice on how to sell real estate, 
how to defer tax, but really then how to stay in real estate without being a landlord. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit more about the 1031 exchange? Like what is it and how it works? Sure. 1031 exchange is a part of our internal revenue code. And this year we are celebrating its 100th birthday. It was introduced in, in 1921. And throughout the decades, it's been widely used uh, through, through real estate and personal property. What is a 1031 exchange? Without dictating the tax code, it gives individuals the ability to sell investment real estate, defer the tax liability due by exchanging the proceeds into another piece of investment real estate. That replacement property is referred to as like-kind. So like-kind real estate, by definition, is uh, really any real estate held for trade or business. And this often becomes an area of confusion for individuals. We can certainly talk more about like-kind. When most individuals come to us, they may have a single-family rental home, and they see that, that word like-kind, and they think they need to purchase a single-family rental home. That's not necessarily true. You can buy any investment real estate uh, that's held for trade or business purposes. And for the 1031 exchange, are there any like minimum requirements or like minimum uh, amount that you can 1031 exchange? There's no real minimum amount when you're talking about a, a general 1031 exchange. You know, it's, it, it's definitely want to talk to your tax advisor before you explore this option of does a 1031 exchange make sense for you? What is your, your tax liability look like? Now, what we do at Sequent is uh, securitized real estate, which has a, a little bit of a different uh, uh, aspect to it through a structure called a Delaware Statutory Trust, and we, we definitely want to dive into that structure a little bit more, you would have to be an accredited investor. So what is an accredited investor? Again, by definition, this is an individual that has at least $1 million of investable net worth. Uh, that's everything you own outside of your primary home. If you don't reach that uh, standard through your net worth, we would look at income. If you're married, you would need to have at least $300,000 in income for the past two successive tax years with an indication of earning that again this year. If you're single, that number goes down to $200,000. Now, Mm -hmm. uh, with, with the DST, the minimum amount becomes a very interesting discussion. Most DST sponsors, the real estate groups behind the DST structure, uh, will tell you a minimum of $100,000. Now, that gives you a lot of flexibility when you're doing exchanges. Okay. So before you go into DSTs, let's stick with, uh, I guess, the 1031 exchange first and kind of go over all the requirements and, I guess, the costs associated with doing a 1031 exchange. So, like, yeah, how much does it cost to do one in the first place? The, the, the cost to do a 1031 exchange is going to be with your qualified intermediary. So, you know, there's, there's certain rules, guidelines, uh, I don't want to call them regulations, 
you have to follow a specific order of events in order to execute a 1031 exchange. And one of the most important factors is that you do not take constructive receipt of your proceeds. So you need to engage with a third party escrow company, which we refer to as a qualified intermediary. Uh, you could hear the word accommodator as well. So the cost to set up that, that escrow account with your exchange accommodator is probably going to be somewhere uh, between $1,000 to $1,500. So that's your, your initial sort of fee just to execute a 1031 exchange, no matter where your replacement property is. Can you give us an example of a 1031 exchange? Like something sure. that you've done maybe probably in the, in the recent past. Sure. So, you know, let's, we're, we're in the Bay Area. So let's, you know, pick on Bay Area real estate here a little bit. Uh, we work with a lot of, uh, with a lot of families that have owned real estate in the Bay Area for decades. So let's say you, you purchased a home maybe 30 years ago in, somewhere uh, in, in the Bay Area for how much was a home 30 years ago? A, a like 100 grand? Home. $100,000, right? Yeah. So you pay $100,000 for this property 30 years ago and you raised your family. You're now retired. You're looking to downsize. You are looking to sell that property, but you're going to run into significant capital, capital gains tax. That property now is probably worth $2 million. So a, a case that we worked on recently, uh, pretty interesting, actually utilized two uh, internal revenue codes, 1031 exchange and, uh, and section 121. You know, many of us are, are familiar with section 121 as our exclusion, which gives us the ability to sell our single family home that we live in and take a, uh, a tax-free exclusion of up to $500,000, depending on your situation. Uh, so this individual was able to take his exclusion, but also executed a 1031 exchange because two years prior, he moved out of the home and rented it. So that's the key to a 1031 exchange is it must be held for trade or business. So as a rental for the past two years, this individual then came to us when it was time to sell his property $2 million property. The uh, cost basis was well under $100,000. So for this conversation, let's just say it's zero to make things simple. So in $2 million, uh, this individual is a couple. They sold their $2 million property. They took their $500,000 exclusion. That means they had $1.5 million left in taxable gain. Well, we were, we were able to take those proceeds and exchange them into fractionalized real estate through the Delaware Statutory Trusts. So they essentially did defer 100% of their gain at that, at that time. But on top of that, which is really the, what I think is the icing on the cake in this transaction, is they also put $500,000 in their pocket tax-free. That's awesome. So let's go into like Delaware Statutory Trusts. So I'm not really familiar with what they are. Can you give us just a grand overview of what they are? Sure. So a Delaware Statutory Trust permits for fractional ownership where multiple individuals can come in and share an ownership of 
uh, of a single property or even multiple properties. And it qualifies as a 1031 like-kind exchange underneath a revenue ruling that actually goes back to 2004. So the Treasury Department um, worked with the DST industry and came up with a structure that was very client-friendly to allow for multiple individuals to come in and share an ownership of these large institutional properties. As an example, what, what would a typical DST property look like? Well, right now, the DST industry, about 75% of the offerings that are put out there are multifamily. So these are 50 to $100 million assets. They're two, three, 400, 500 unit properties. Class A, secondary growth markets across the country. Just to pick on California, you're not going to see a lot of DST offerings in California. And that's just due to the real estate economy in, 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 in our state. So a, you know, a typical DST property is going to be this large, professionally managed, passive, income-producing property. Um, again, located in Phoenix, Arizona, or Austin, Texas, or outside of a major metro like Chicago, maybe a commuter city to, to New York or to Washington, D.C., we're seeing a lot of properties in what we call the smile states. And you know, Florida is a very popular state right now for multifamily properties. So as an example, that other couple that you mentioned that sold their property, they took 500000 into their pocket with Section 121, and then they did a 1031 exchange with the other, let's say, $1.5 million into a DST. What was that uh, DST investing in? Sure. So here's the unique part about the DST is it, it's not it's not all for one. And oftentimes when a retired couple is going to work with sequent, after a very thorough discussion, we, we want to see what their intent is. What are they looking for from this transaction? What What is the next decade going to look like in, in their life? And many times they're focused on, of course, tax deferral. <laughs> and second to that is, is income. So if we're going to look at a transaction of $1.5 million for a retired couple that's looking for income, we want to put them into three or four or five different properties. And that's going to diversify out their portfolio. It's going to diversify out their risk because they're not locked into an income stream coming out of one asset. So in that situation, you may actually build a multi-property portfolio of assets that are diversified across the geography of the United States and also diversified across different types of asset classes. We've been talking about multifamily, but on our platform, we, we also have self-storage properties. We have land leases. We have triple net leased retail, office, and industrial. So you, you can build this, this truly diversified portfolio of uh, properties through DSTs. Pretty interesting. So this sounds a lot like syndications. And I've had a lot of like syndicators on this podcast in the past. And they've always said that, you know, they couldn't do 1031 exchanges into it because you're technically buying into an LLC. Um, why don't all like, you know, real estate investors or sponsors in the multifamily space do this to raise their funds? Sure. 
the the DST is a it, it's a structure that requires a lot of capital. Uh, it requires a lot of background legal work. So usually you're going to be dealing with very large, well-experienced real estate sponsors. Uh, additionally, it's it, these are Reg D private placements, so they're a little bit different than a quote-unquote syndication. So a lot of smaller syndications really just don't have the background, the experience, or the capital to set up a DST. Now I'll I'll, I'll share with you, uh, you know, an example of a of how the DST works. Where does it start? Where does it end? The real estate sponsor who again is going to be a a fairly large, uh, well-experienced, ingrained real estate group in this economy, they physically go out and do the due diligence and purchase the real estate first. So they may go to Phoenix, Arizona and purchase this $80 million class A uh, multifamily project. So theoretically, and realistically, they're putting that $80 million up front. They're, they're buying that property. And title is being secured first before any investors come in. Plus, the financing is being uh, secured before any investors come in. So an $80 million property, maybe it's loan to value is 50%. So that sponsor then has $40 million of their capital tied up in that property right now. Uh, The title has to be secured. The financing terms have to be set and closed before any investors are closed into that DST. That's going to limit a lot of companies to utilize the DST structure because, um, you know, $40 million. Yes, it's a lot of money to some companies. It's not a lot of money, but if you look at the, at the syndicated offerings, um, that typically is, is, is a, big chunk of change for them to to hold on their balance sheet. Why do they do it that way? Like why do they have to buy it first? You know, that was part of the rules that the that the Treasury Department put on the DST. Uh, when when the DST was being created, it was coming out of the uh, the the tenant in common 1031 exchange era. And with a tenant in common, you're allowed 35 investors. And those, those are LLCs. Um, so each investor is liable for the financing. Most of those tenant in common deals, they would identify a property and then go raise funds to purchase that property. If you have 35 investors that all have a 45-day window to identify a piece of real estate, it creates some challenges and it was it was causing individuals to have failed exchanges because if you identify that property on day 45 and for some reason that that property doesn't close that tick company doesn't buy it or something goes wrong then you may have a failed exchange the dst solves that solution by having title first so title's closed and the financing terms are closed so if you identify that property there's little to no close risk from the from for the individual so they know that if you identify it, you can actually close on that property within your 180-day period that the IRS puts out there as a requirement to close on your replacement asset. Okay, got it. So just to simplify, normally for the 1031 exchange, 
you have 45 days to identify the next property you're going to buy. And then you have 180 days from when you sold the property to actually close on that next property. But if you have all these different people doing this 10 thing exchange at the same time, it could cause a lot of problems and it could cause people to miss out, right? And that's why instead of uh, doing this to buy a property, they want the property purchased first so that whenever they're ready, they can just jump in and put their funds in. Is that is that correct? That, that's absolutely right. A, a DST offering, you know, they're typically... A typical DST is going to be available to invest in for for 30 to 45 days. Um, many of the DST sponsors are starting to do larger portfolios where they're raising, they may be raising 100 to $200 million. So now that portfolio is around for two or three months. So no matter what your, your exchange schedule is, you can come into that DST when you like. So it, it's now created this market for exchangers to come to companies like Sequent and say, you know, I have, I have an exchange coming up. What do you have available that we can exchange into? And we have an inventory that we can share with them. And they may, they may be out there looking for real estate on their own. And they're just utilizing the DST as a backup with confidence knowing that that DST is there. Uh, they don't have to wait for the, the sponsor to go buy the property. So they are giving themselves flexibility with their exchanges. Got it. So like in case that, you know, their deal that they're looking at doesn't go through, they know that they can just put their money in this DST if everything goes, goes terribly wrong. That's right. It's, um, you know, I guess there's, there's three main ways that I work with clients very frequently. One is, is 100% exchange into DST. I think we understand that, right? That makes sense. You, you, you sell a property, you buy a, a, a DST or a portfolio of DSTs. Second to that is the boot transaction. You know, boot is leftover. And this goes back to one of the major rules on doing a 1031 exchange is that your replacement property needs to be equal to or greater than your relinquished property. So if you sell a $1.5 million asset, you need to buy at least $1.5 million in replacement real estate. Well, if you sold that $1.5 million and you went out and bought a $1.3 million property on your own, you have $200,000 left over. That's a small number in the Bay Area. <laughs> so uh, the DST could be that boot solution where you're buying fractional ownership of the DST itself. Therefore, it's a dollar amount. You, you come to us with a number uh, down to the penny, and we, we can exchange you into that trust down to the penny. And a lot of times I'm calling the QI after all the other transactions have been completed, and, and I'm asking the QI, say, how much is left in the exchange account? And, and that's the transaction amount that we utilize down to the penny. Got it. So, so as an example, you, in this case, they say you sold it for $1.5 million. And then uh, you bought another property for 1.3, and then you have 200,000 left over to just put into some DST. Right. You know, you're yeah. usually when you ask the intent of an exchanger, what, why are you doing this? Their answer is to defer tax. Uh, so they're interested in deferring 100% of their tax, and that's where the DST can be, be very useful. There, there, there was, there's, so there's three transactions there, right? The full, the boot, and then the last one is the backup. So the DST is useful if you're back, 
if your if your wall if your back is against the wall on that 45th day and you don't have any replacement property we have inventory that is sitting there waiting for investors mm -hmm. um, in our previous example let's say you sold that property for two million dollars and you did your section 121 to take five hundred thousand out um for that next property do you need to put in two million or can you just put in 1.5 million so in, the, in that situation, which is unique, the 121 removes $500,000 from the transaction because that's, a, that's a, a capital gains exclusion. So the replacement value then is $1.5 Okay. And you mentioned that, I guess, setting up DST costs a lot of money. So I guess the smaller syndicators don't want to do it. But like, like, what is that cost associated with creating a DST? So the, the cost, and this is actually a fairly easy answer. Every DST is going to have a load. Uh, there, there's a cost to set up the structure. There's a cost for the financing. There's a cost on due diligence. So the typical load on a DST is going to be 10%. And, you know, we have to use that as a generalization for this conversation because um, every DST is going to be unique to itself. And what, what is also interesting about that 10% load is that it's built into the transaction. So if an investor will, were, were to bring $1.5 million to a DST transaction, that is how much is being invested in real estate. That is what their account value is going to show. And that is what their income is going to be based on. So the DST allows for the structure to actually take that load and build it into the cost to the investor. So when you say 10%, uh, is that, does that mean that of that 1.5 million, 150,000 goes to something? <laughs> I don't know, where, does it, where do the fees go to? Yeah, so the, the, the fees go to um, offering an organization costs, due diligence costs, buying the real estate, so acquisition fees, um, broker-dealer fees as well, because these are all securitized transactions. You know, as an individual, you cannot go to one of these real estate sponsors and, and execute a transaction. You need to go through a, uh, a financial advisor and somebody who is authorized to do business with that organization. So if it's a sliding scale of like 10%, why can't someone do it for, let's say, a $5 million apartment complex and then open up a DST and then have people bring funds in? You can, and uh, they do. So those, those deals are out there. There are currently 40 DST sponsors in the market right now. And at Sequent Real Estate, we work with, um, at any given time, about 15. Maybe our total platform would, would include 20 of those. So we tend to work with the larger sponsors. A $5 million offering with leverage would be $2.5 million. That, that is, you're not going to have very many investors in there. So you know, the cost to actually do that structure may, may not be worth it at, in the long run as far as um, you, know, you would have pretty hefty fees and it would probably be greater than 10%. I see. So there are some fixed costs beyond the uh, you know, sliding 10%. I guess ten percent is like an all-inclusive estimate of what it costs, right? So that's a generalization on on the upfront load. That's the upfront load. Mm, okay. So I guess we can move on to our second part, and that's like regulations. 
So everything that we've been giving right now is because of these policies that were created in the past that enable us to do these tax deferral strategies. But with the new administration, uh, there are some rumors of our president trying to get rid of the 10th annual exchange. I was wondering like, what your thoughts are about that and how it could affect real estate investing in general. No, a- absolutely. So the, the current administration started, uh, they were running on this platform uh, of, of tax reform. And part of that tax reform, well, I paid attention to it because this is my world, was 1031 exchanges. We have to understand 1031s have been around for 100 years, and this happens basically every election cycle. Something comes up about 1031 exchanges. In fact, if we go back to the Trump administration in their 2017 tax reform, they removed a major part of 1031, which is personal property. So before that, you could defer the gain on the sale of personal property. So artwork or gold coins or classic cars, airplanes, right? Whatever it may be, a lot of businesses were utilizing this. So that was a big deal. That was actually removed from our tax code and no longer exists. What did maintain was 1031 exchange of real property. So now the Biden administration through the American Families Plan is uh, proposing to abolish the right to defer tax on property with gains over $500,000. So I think that's a starting point. Uh, I don't think the, the tax code is going to, is going to end there. Uh, it, it, it's, it's likely going to change somewhere. And is it going to limit at $500,000? Is it going to limit at a million dollars? We don't know at this point. Uh, it's just a huge unknown of where this is going to end up. But what it's done is it's really created a lot of concern from investment property owners today. And we are, we are, we're receiving quite a few inbound calls from individuals really trying to execute their exchange as quickly as possible to get it in before there are any potential changes to that tax code. Yeah. And just to clarify again, um, they're not trying to get rid of it completely. They're just trying to get rid of it past your first $500,000 in gains. That's so right. your first 500000 can be deferred. And after that, you have to pay taxes on it. That's um, right. That's right. But it's crazy because there's so many things going on at the same time, right? He's also trying to uh, increase the tax brackets, right? And uh, change how uh, capital gains are uh, you know, dealt with for high income earners, right? Up to like 40% or something like that. Yeah. So not only are you losing your deferring of capital gains, you now have to pay 40% <laughs> if you're making a lot of money. Um, well, a, a big a big part too, which is being proposed, is the removal of the step up in basis. Yeah, that too. Yeah. So this is really affecting you know families today that are real estate owners and that have had real estate as part of their portfolio for generations. We see this is uh, it's affecting their estate plans. And they're, they're really challenged right now on, on how to move forward. How do you put an estate plan together that involves real estate right now with the proposed changes on 1031 and the step-up? For our listeners who don't know what that means, can you explain what the step-up in basis sure. the, you know, Yeah, the step-up in basis uh, essentially says that when an individual passes away and their estate inherits that property, it is stepped up to current value. 
So let's say you own a million dollar asset with a zero cost basis. That, that means that you have $1 million in taxable gain. Upon your passing, your heirs, let's just assume your children, would actually inherit that property at a value, a cost basis of $1 million. So actually wiping away all the tax due if, uh, if you would have sold that property while you were alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that gone, it means that if they sold it going forward, they'd have to pay taxes on the entire $1 million. Um, I mean, for their platform, they're saying it, it makes it less imbalanced, I guess, right? There are some people who are saying, oh, that's how the wealthy get stay wealthy, right? The rich get richer. Sure. But yeah, I mean, it really sucks for the people who like work really hard their entire lives and they have the strategy going forward and then get this taken away from them. Um, right. Well, the, this we work with many families that they hold on to their investment real estate for that purpose. You know, they, they manage it and hold on to it for their lifetime. Uh, they plan on dying, owning that real estate so they can pass it on to their heirs and, and get that step up in basis. Yeah. And I mean, it's one of the best benefits of real estate investing right? the 1031 exchange and the step up in basis. It makes it more attractive than let's say buying stocks or bonds or something else. Agreed. So I guess, what are your thoughts uh, going forward? What are you telling your clients? What should we be aware of? Going forward, you know, what, what I'm sharing with my clients right now is, is, is everything's unknown <laughs> and being in this industry for, you know, the better part of two decades and working with clients, what I've always told them is we can only plan for what we know. So we can only plan for, you know, the tax code that we are, that we have in our hands today. Now, does that mean that you should go out and sell your investment property uh, in a panicked state right now? You know, pr- probably not. Um, you, we should probably wait to see what the new tax code is, is going to present. Um, but it, it's really thinking about what, what your long-term goals are. What are your long-term plans? And many investors come to us with this concept of, I'm tired. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be a real estate owner. So what do I do? What are, what are my solutions out there? And that's really where we try to work with clients. We're, we, we provide them with real estate exchange solutions. You know, my go-to is the DST. Uh, there's, there's other strategies out there. Uh, but we try to fit the DST into that 1031 exchange solution to provide for that passive income producing real estate. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it is things change all the time. And who knows, by the time that you're ready to actually sell the property, maybe things will change again. So there is really no need to like rush and panic and sell your property just because of some you know, incoming legislation. And th- there's always going to be new solutions. Right. With, with any changes, uh, there will be new industries created. Awesome. All right, Peter. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Do you have any last words of advice for our listeners before we finish up? Last words of advice are uh, when executing a 1031 exchange, you know, always consider all the different options that are out there. You know, many of us are so used to going out and buying real estate on their own and managing real estate on their own. And I do encourage that. And I'm, I'm never going to try to convince anybody not to do that. But if it's if it's something that you're, you know, you're considering selling your investment property and doing a 1031, 
know about the DST. It, it can save a failed exchange. Um, it can take a lot of the pressure off the timing of doing 1031 exchanges, and it can be a useful, useful solution for you. Yeah, it seems super powerful. And I'm surprised that I, I haven't heard of it before. You know, it seems like something that we should know about as real estate investors. And so, Peter, where can people find out more about you and about your company? You can uh, visit us on our website, which is uh, you know, sequent-rewm.com. Uh, you'll, you'll see myself, uh, my contact information. My phone number is, is 415-918-2225. Always feel free to reach out to me. Awesome. Well, Peter, thank you again so much for being on the show today and telling us about 1031 Exchanges and the Delaware Statutory Trust. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.